and welcome to the latest episode of the Online Warriors podcast. As always, I am Illegal86, one of your three hosts. I have joined here with me, Tactic. Tactic, tell us, what's your favorite color? My favorite color is red. And you know what? It needs to be normalized. Like, I feel like everyone thinks that when you're, when you're a little kid that if you're a boy, your favorite color should be blue. No, it should be red because for multiple reasons... I got Charmander. I got Agumon. I got the Red Power Ranger. Give it up for red. Well. Give it up for red. So I'm a I'm a blue. I was I was a fan of I am still a fan of blue. Uh, red, blue, I mean da ba dee, da ba die. You ha- Yeah, you if to. only for that reason. They wrote a song about me back in the nineties. Nerd Bomber, what's your favorite color? Yellow, hundred P. Speaking of P, you chose P color <laughs> favorite color. I'm just no. throwing that out there. So I I'm convinced that the reason why my favorite color is yellow back in like the 80s and 90s, apparently it was like common parenting lore that if you painted your child's bedroom yellow, it would mean that they're smarter. And obviously it worked out because I am super smart. She got a big, big brain. old brain. That sounds like the most bunk science I've ever <laughs> like. Like, is that real? It's people. Is that actually a thing? I don't I mean, know. Like, but I'm, both. Can I quick Google that? Both children's bedrooms in my parents' house are painted yellow. And so I think maybe because and of all that, of them were like top tier in their in their graduating classes. But yeah, I think maybe because of that, I like yellow. But also like I liked Pluto as a kid and Pluto's kind of yellow. So I don't know. I just Googled painting children's bedroom yellow and I'm getting a lot of crap. But one of the related Googles is what happens if you paint your room yellow? Well, for one thing, the room is yellow afterwards. Apparently it makes a space look bigger. I don't know. That also sounds like pseudoscience to me. I want to go back to red for a second because I do know a lot of things about the color red. First of all, if you didn't know this, if you drive a red car, your car insurance is higher. Do you know why? Oh, yeah, because cops actually will ticket people and like pick out red speeding cars more often. That is correct. I don't I know had why, a red car, but that's ironically, that's I got no tickets in that red car. But when I had a blue car before that, that's when I got all my stupid tickets. And wasn't the paint color so, like called pull me over red? Yeah, my paint color in my car was pull me over red. Is that actually true? It's, that's an I'm insane name for not car. lying. I drove a Chevy Cruze and the official paint color for that year was pull me over red. Wow, that's well. So I, I have, I drive a red car currently and have for many years, and I have gotten, boy, let's just say a few tickets, more than one ticket. I think two tickets in that car and one written warning. But I've only ever been in one accident, and I mentioned that a couple, like a month ago. Uh, that was in a blue car. So I don't know. The jury's out on that. The other thing I know about the color red, though, that I wanted to mention. If you think about fast food restaurant logos, the color red is very prominently featured in the vast majority of them because red is a color that I guess on some subconscious level makes you hungrier. So That's why I wear it when I go out to the to the club if you catch my drift. That's an insane thought and a, and a good way to start. <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that. Uh, we're not just going to be talking about color science today, although that'd probably be a good secret segment. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of a lot of movie talk today, for the most part. We're going to be talking about The Bubble. Just got a trailer for that. It's a Judd Apatow movie. You know Judd Apatow. Knocked Up and Nine, This Is 40 and a bunch of other movies. Uh, we're going to be talking about I Am Sequel. We'll get to that in a little bit. And then in our non-movie news, we're going to be talking a little bit about Returnal. And in particular, we're going to be talking about the devs of, Retur- of Returnal, Housemark, and a new project that they are cooking up. But we're going to try and do the old uh, video game sandwich today. As, as we are wont to do. And we're going to stick with a movie topic first and a movie topic last. I want to lead off with I Am Sequel. Now, 
guys they're not actually calling it i am sequel that's me trying to be funny and probably failing you guys i can hear listeners all over the world right now rolling their eyes i am legend it was it was a, a movie oh boy when did this come out 2007 or something like that i don't know back during is this was like the yeah it was 2007 and this was during what i would like to refer to as I don't even know what I'd like to... It's, it was when Will Smith was the biggest star ever and like every year a Will Smith movie came out and it was good. It was like the Will smith or something. Just every movie that he came out with was, was lightning in a bottle during this time period. And guess what? This movie was great. Actually based on a book, which I've heard is quite different than what the movie is. You've got... Come on, you've seen the movie. Will Smith, he's alone in New York City because everyone died. No, he's got his dog. And he's got his dog. He, he's fighting people who have been infected with the Crippen virus. And that apparently it was created by a cure, a cure for cancer. And this movie did very well at the box office. Boy, I, I, there's a number in this article here. 58 point, no, 585.4 million worldwide. That's a big number. And uh, Will Smith has decided in partnership with a number of people that uh, he's going to come back and be in a sequel to this. Warner Brothers is, is partnering with him and Michael B. Jordan, who is, is it fair to say this generation's Will Smith? Like, is that, is that going too far with him? I mean, he's... I think that's I about like right. He, he's the new hotness, right? They are going to both star and produce this movie. So a lot of money going into this. No plot details yet. Akiva Goldsman, who wrote the first movie, is returning to uh, write and produce this one. So it, they're getting the gang back together. Not that there's much of a gang. I mean, it's basically Will Smith versus the world in the first movie, right? My main question here and my main conversational point, spoiler alert, at the end of I Am Legend... Will Smith dies. Yeah, I was just <laughs> like, going to say that. Do you guys remember he basically ran at the main horde with a grenade? A grenade. Yeah, a pop grenade. Now, there is actually... so There's an alternate ending, though, and that's what I'm wondering yeah. if they're going to say, well, no, this is actually how gonna it ended. retcon it. Middle School Illegal had got this on DVD, because that was that's what we did back then. And they had the alternate ending. And uh, in the alternate ending... Which, by the way, I'm glad they did not select it because it's the worst ending. Uh, he survives. I don't even remember exactly how, but he so does survive. What ha- I'm just going to give you guys the skinny because I did, did my research. What happens instead is he slowly carts out the, the female. Yep. Yeah. And he injects her back with the virus and gives it over to him. And then they back up slowly and walk out of there and then just drive off into the sunset yeah okay also trace an important line of commonality between the two endings in both endings he finds a cure for the virus which theoretically is going to take a lot of the wind out of the sails of a sequel right and like the, the 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 lady who is at one point with him she drives to like some complex in vermont where there's like a safe space and she delivers the cure so like I don't think the real ending she gets there though. I thought it just shows her driving off the bridge. No, no, she gets there. She gets there and she hands it to somebody. And she's like narrating in the background and they play they play Bob Marley over the ending. I've seen this movie like a hundred times. Okay, so hear me out. Yeah. I seem to remember, and maybe it's just because it's been a long time and I'm totally making this up, but he was like writing either in a notebook or letters or something, correct? He was video like logs. video logs. A lot of video logs. Yeah. So even if they go with the original ending where he is blown up by the grenade, he dies. What's saying that Michael B. Jordan isn't like, I don't know, like a long lost son that he didn't know he had or just a guy who comes across these video logs and Will Smith isn't in present day, but it's kind of like flashbacky sort of stuff or Michael B. Jordan's character is lonely. And so he starts to like kind of envision 
Will Smith's character walking side by side with him as he goes through the video logs. Like that's a that's a that's thing. Kind that of, yeah, that, that would be kind of a sweet premise. I actually really like that a lot. You should you should produce this as well. In a way that makes it kind of like a reboot, but not totally. Like yeah, it's basically one man's story, and he's using basically Will Smith and his video logs to kind of help him survive in the world. I right. guess having Will Smith's character, I believe Doctor Robert Neville is his name as kind of a spiritual guide to some kind of person who is following in his footsteps is what i imagine this will turn out to be i just again without a virus unless there's a resurgence of the virus which i suppose is possible omicron i that's too soon man uh yeah that's another thing we should talk about by the way is it too soon for making a movie about a virus that like kind of exterminates humanity right because that's that's what this was about the first time around and it's what the second one specifically specifically about a virus that comes off of the heels of a vaccine an anti-cancer vaccine (laughs) very true yeah there's 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 a lot of touch points here i do think it's interesting that they were like you know what you know what the world needs right now is uh, is this you know i I think that is very uh interesting but i i do see I mean, I, I think regardless of what you think the movie's going to be, Will Smith and Michael B. Jordan put together has a lot of potential. Like w- Will Smith, I think lately, like I actually can't remember the last time I saw a movie of his that I was I was really enamored with. He I have not seen King Richard. Yeah, he was supposed to be really good in King Richard, but we haven't seen that either. Best Picture nominated. He's nominated for, I think, Best Actor as well. I'm sure he's very good. I just like... I don't know. I haven't. It, it's not the same as it used to be where he was just like, and like movies were different back then too, right? They were kind of just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what stuck. Whereas nowadays, everything has to be franchise. And I, we've talked about that so much on the podcast. And I'll, I'll say it again here. Like, I Am Legend, I do think should be a standalone movie. Like, I don't, this is an example of an unearthing that I understand why it's happening, but no one is asking for this. Well, I don't, I don't understand it because I feel like you could easily make another I Am Legend-esque movie with Michael B. Jordan as the lead and maybe have Will Smith pop up, do like a, a fun little Easter egg yeah, that calls back to I Am Legend or something. But like, it could be something completely different. And I think just the star power that these two guys bring to the table would be enough to bring people in the doors, especially a big right. action movie. I don't know if it needs to be tied back to the original movie. And I think it's enough to, th- that star power is enough to bring me in too. Like, like, again, regardless of what this is, as far as, you know, Michael B. Jordan being a long lost son, I would rule that out as a possibility, if only because in the original movie, he has a daughter and like, and a, and a, and like, yeah, we're getting into spoiler town now. If you haven't, Maybe it's his daughter's boyfriend. Oh no, but the daughter is, gone right yeah they they die yeah uh, like we're going to spoiler town here this movie came out in 2007 but like everyone he's ever loved dies like the mom and the daughter both die and very importantly the dog the dog died. i was about to say the one thing that they cannot do is do that again because that like in terms of like i would riot I, if they kill off another honestly, dog in the same franchise like you can't do that twice and uh, you know what though i have to give that scene credit it is such a powerful scene it's very it's so well acted by Will Smith. And like in terms of movie scenes that I've watched that are hard to watch, uh, top 10 for me, for sure. Top 10 most uncomfortable scenes to watch. Like it's just, it's, it's brutal. What I watched the movie so, if you haven't. It's I Am really Legend good. is based on a book. Was there a sequel book that ever came out or, or is there zero record? I don't think material? so. It, well, and the, the book is like, the book is quite different. I believe in the book, it's just straight up, like there's no cancer vaccine. No, they're just vampires. I believe he's just a vampire hunter kind of thing. I don't know for sure, but like, 
I do think he's, I think it's a lot, the book is a lot simpler and it has been fairly well extrapolated. I mean, the book came out in 1954, post-apocalyptic horror novel that was influential in the modern development of zombie and vampire literature and in popularizing the concept of a worldwide apocalypse. Wow, good for you. This is Richard Matheson who wrote this. Yeah, it's just soul survivor pandemic killed most human population, turned the remainder into vampires. That actually does sound pretty similar, but there's a lot more going on. At one point, he apparently gets hysterical blindness. Does he commit suicide at the end? Well, I guess that's the same too. Yeah, he does. Spoiler alert for the book too, I guess. There's not a sequel to this one too either. <laughs> it doesn't seem like. Just as so. a side note, if it does follow the alternate ending, another movie that did do this was The Descent 2, where it followed the alternate ending on that one to make a sequel out of it. I like the idea behind that of like, hey, it could have ended this way. Like, if they started this movie kind of showing how the last movie, what the alternate ending was, and then transition from that, like, I could get behind that. If I, Yeah, it's, it's, something that's, it's not something that's often done. And it's a cool idea. I just, I, again, I still feel like no one's asking for a sequel to I Am Legend. I love Will Smith. I loved this era of Will Smith. I like this kind of movie, too. I'm just, I'm just, I'm still not asking for it. I want something original. I don't know. Well, we've talked about this, I feel like, at, before ad nauseum, but we do definitely, we're in a, a movie industry hole where there's not a whole lot of original titles. No, and there won't be for for a while yet. Uh, but this, you know, this has a lot of potential production value behind it, a lot of star power behind it. So this will be happening. Obviously, there's no release date or anything yet. This is in the very, very early going. It's basically just been formally announced by Will Smith and a number of production related people. But we'll be keeping tabs on this one. There's no doubt. Let's shift into the game world for our next topic. Uh, let's let's talk about Returnal, but more specifically, let's talk about Housemark. So I guess I'll, I'll start this by asking you guys kind of a two-pronged question. I don't, so I don't think any of us have played Returnal yet. I, I want to, but I haven't yet. Yeah, we haven't played it yet either. It's still, it's, it's a game that's still going for 70 bucks, as far as I can tell. It's, it's said to be challenging. It's said to be a little bit grueling and that you can't save in between runs. We talked about that at one point on the podcast. My follow-up question which for me is also no, but I'm not sure about you guys. Do you guys have any Housemark experience prior to Returnal? So, 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 so the news here is Housemark is working on their next game. It's an original IP. It is not Returnal 2. Not knowing how Returnal ends or, or what questions exist there. It's, it's, too, it's too much for us to speculate into what Returnal 2 could be. But what we know is that this will not be that. This will be something, it sounds like more arcadey in nature. Yeah, I have no previous Housemark experience, but Arcady always sounds good to me. It actually, the interesting thing here, you know, it sounds like they're focusing on making an arcade style shoot 'em up. They they compare it to a coin op game in the '80s, and I guess that's what they've done with games in the past. But they focused not on multiplayer. They had a stint working on multiplayer because that's what you had to do, or it's what it felt like you had to do. But now they're kind of shifting away from that, which you guys know, I like this, right? I'm not an online multiplayer guy, never really have been. I've had short stints with like Destiny and Call of Duty back in the day, but I'm much more of a story-driven shooter guy. So for me, an arcadey story-driven shooter sounds great. Yeah, this, honestly, reading through this article, I was kind of surprised. I had no idea where their roots came from. And coming off the the success of Returnal, you know, the amount of hype and publicity that that studio got from it, I'm excited to see that they're going to take that, we'll call it spotlight, and 
use that energy to focus on their roots and to to have a arcadey style game i mean nerd bomber and i love those type of games we still play them now because of game pass because there are so many that are available through indie shops but like this sounds awesome to me this sounds something that's honestly way more appealing to me than returnal because that's where it's at that's where my love of gaming really kind of was fortified i just wonder so looking at some of their previous games that I haven't looked at in a long time, but like Resogun and stuff like that. Like, they're not joking. They usually typically do a more arcadey style game. And just from a development standpoint, I wonder how that works and if they have kind of like development whiplash because Returnal is a very, very polished, technical, graphical game. Like, it was a game designed to take advantage of all of the new tech brought to the table by the PlayStation 5 and, you know, the next generation consoles. You look at an arcade style game and they don't really leverage that sort of technology. And that doesn't mean that they're not good. But in terms of like graphical prowess and processing, and maybe that's not fair to say, because some arcade games, depending on how you code them, might like you need to have elegant coding to process efficiently, I guess. But right. I feel like the skills that you need in your team of developers must vary so widely then when you're going from arcade style games to very graphically intensive technical games. Cinematic. Like, yeah, cinematic games. And then if you're going back to the arcade style games, I just wonder like how that works in staffing and if this is going to impact their studio and employment at all. Or if, you know, and this is where I wish I could talk to a, a game developer a little bit about this. Is there a big difference between developing an arcade style game? I feel like there has to be like the engines have to be completely different. But like, is it that big of a leap? It makes you wonder, right? Like, we obviously don't know. And, you know, there may be articles out there that would tell us more about what the development process of Returnal was. But hearing, you know, their previous project, 2017's Next Machina, and and then hearing how they want to kind of go back to that. I don't wonder if Returnal was an experiment for them where they said, why don't we try making this very cinematic, story-driven, take-yourself-seriously kind of game? And it worked out better than they... And they were like, wow, that went really well. Now, as Tactic was saying, we have a big spotlight on us. We have a potentially expanded player base. Let's go back to, you know, I guess what we know, what we maybe love, what we what we think we really do well. And let's, and, let's and, add and, and what we learned that. from Returnal. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I, I, so I, I think it sounds like reading through kind of their history, it sounds like they're also known for games that are challenging, which I, I do think there is a huge market for that right now. With I mean, games like Cuphead have, have been wildly popular because of how challenging they are. I right? think, like, and hear me games, out. Bloodborne, things like that. I think, and if you look at some of their titles and sort of the genre that it's based on, I think you'll be able to agree with me. So what is a game that's, we'll call it a 2D platformer, that's heavily sci-fi that also has really good cinematic cutscenes. yeah dread i knew you're gonna go there i think they can make a new franchise that people of that fan base will really gravitate towards and i'm here for it well so it it sounds like they they want to do more like next machina was a twin stick shooter that again was inspired by i guess old coin-op games i don't have a lot of experience with i think them going into the side scroller realm is a reasonable thought. I'm, I'm not sure what their background there is, but like the main thing I would like to see from them... They've done it with games like Matterfall. That's sort of a side-scroller 2D adventure sci-fi. The thing that side-scrollers are often known for, and like I guess Dread doesn't fall into this category, but I think side-scrollers have a way inherently of not taking themselves too seriously and lending themselves very well to that arcade kind of feel and that arcade kind of genre. Like To me right now, shooters 
are not that right like if you you see a shooter you're going to assume something like returnal or you know last of us or call of duty like all these games that take themselves whatever the environment is they take themselves so seriously right i played a game way back this was back in the 360 days and it's a really weird tangent parallel to draw right now but i'm going to do it anyways i actually i think i'm trying to remember if i even had the whole game or if i just played the crap out of a demo but it was a game called stranglehold and it was based i think kind of in a similar vein to like basing things on old arcade games this was based on old john woo movies which were kind of patently ridiculous right you you have this detective character who is always holding two pistols he's going around shooting guys going into bullet time somewhat frequently and he never has to reload right like it felt very arcadey it didn't take itself seriously at all and it was just crazy fun and it still had this high production value and it was it was it was great to play so like what i would like to see from housemark is something kind of like that where it's you know, it still has a lot of the frills that you want in a in an immersive console game, but it it's willing to have fun in in a shooter environment. You know. Well, I find so Housemark now. I believe they were acquired by Sony, right? Like I know they partnered with Sony for Returnal, but I believe Sony then eventually bought them over the last year. And having something like Metroid Dread being super popular, and I think it won some awards at the Game Awards. And obviously, I mean, Metroid has always been a very successful franchise for Nintendo, but I wonder if Sony is like kind of salivating, like, oh, maybe this could be our our Metroid Dread, kind of like Tactic said too, you know? Like, yeah, they were acquired. They're they're part of PlayStation Studio. Let's just call this a, a Tactic prediction. They're gonna make a Metroid S game. There we go. Okay. Yeah, consider the prediction called. I, I, you know, I would love for that to be the case. I liked it as challenging as Metroid Red was, which that's another thing that it shares. Like they're both, I think I've heard Returnal is very challenging. Metroid was very challenging. Maybe they do see that as like, this is where you guys are going to fit in. And, and we're in like the exciting thing about that too, relative to Dread is it sounds like they're going to have an original IP, which in a lot of ways, you know, I love Metroid more than anybody, but new IP can be very exciting too. So I'm into that. I just, yeah, I, I think the questions you raise about their employee base are, are valid nerd bomber of like how do you how do you avoid that whiplash and like and maybe they're excited to again go back to something that's a little less intense than than i'm sure returnal was as a development process but it does raise some questions i mean again we're at a point now where this is we're just hearing first details about this there is nothing at all concrete especially in terms of like release dates or time frames or anything like that so it's probably a ways out but it's it's fun to think about you know what what this could be Barring any closing thoughts, we'll have to check back in on the development process at Housemark. They're from Finland, by the way. I was just Googling them to see if they were acquired by Sony. They, yeah, 80 employees found in 1995. I'm, I'm learning a lot. So, yeah, we'll continue checking in with Housemark. And in the meantime, we will head to our regularly scheduled ad break. But before we do that, I would be remiss. If we did not shout out our fantastic Patreon producer, Mr. Stephen Keller. Stephen was on the show a couple weeks back, talked about many things, our mutual love for Lego among them. I I prefer to to build them. I think Stephen prefers to have them. Is that, is that, based on our conversation, that's what it seemed like. And there's some Twitter evidence of that too, if you want to go go plucking around on, on my feed. Yeah, Stephen has been supporting us for quite a while now. We've become we've become friends with him, and uh, he supports us at the night level, which is the highest of our three levels of support on Patreon. And as a result, he gets that get guest segment occasionally that I've mentioned before. He gets input into the weekly game segment. He gets his producer shout out. And of course, he also gets access to the monthly secret segment and vlog. There is also a Squire level of support, which gets you access to the monthly secret segment. And there is a page level. So for any of the details, 
for all of the details on those three levels of support, you can head over to patreon.com slash online warriors podcast. Help us keep the lights on. Help us keep the mics on. I guess the lights aren't that important. You guys podcast in the dark. Yes. I have lights on here, but I, you know. No, we don't uh, podcast in the dark. That would be a little weird. You kind of need to see stuff sometimes, right? I mean, a lot of it's on a computer screen, but like if I need to reach for a drink, I need to be able to see it. You know, things like that. It's an intense business we have here. But uh, help us keep the mics running. That That is important. If we didn't have those, that would be that would be bad. Check us out, patreon.com slash online warriors podcast. Thanks again to Steven and all our supporters. We'll take a short break now. We will be back to talk about the bubble. I'm Ryan Fonzie. This is Cameron Hagee. My name is Tony Giggles. And we're three dudes who love The Legend of Zelda and love talking about The Legend of Zelda. And if you are a Zelda fan as much as we are, then come on down and listen to your heart's content. We have a podcast that we like to share with you. It's called A for No, B for Yes. We cover the Legend of Zelda series, different games chapter by chapter, and we have all kinds of theories about what we see and what we've experienced in the game. Do you go through Wikipedia and look up stuff based on the things you see in the game to create theories to how it could link to other things in the world that we actually live in and not the Zelda one that was the one that was created by the people that are in the world that we actually live in right now? Because if you don't, then you should watch this because we do. Did you guys get all that? If not, oh, you didn't. Okay. So we are A for no people. All right, I'll stop. So we remain, I would say at large, we remain in in the gray soup of of the pandemic, depending on, on what your opinions are. But we've apparently reached the point where movies about kind of like pandemic times are being made well actually I th- that's been happening for a little bit now too like there have been a couple of movies that have touched on pandemic life there was that one heist movie on hbo max i can't think of the name of you yeah. watched it uh i don't remember what it was called but it had anne hathaway in it that's about all yeah. i remember about it it was something called like lock me up or something which was supposed to be a play on the fact that we were all in lockdown it's one of those i think it was called lockdown actually and that's what it was called. Was it? Something like that. And then there was also that Michael Bay movie, which I'm not even sure. Did I ever come come out? I think it was called Songbird. That was like people were in a pandemic kind of thing. And the oh, pandemic yeah. got way worse. And it had that guy from, I want to say Smallville, but that's not it. What's that CW show? You know what I'm talking about. All the high school kids. It's something Riverdale. PC, Riverdale. Know, yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. It had Riverdale kid in it. And he was like playing music and people were zombies or some ridiculousness. Yeah, who knows? But now we've transitioned to the comedy aspect of pandemic living, which again, that's been dabbled with in like other shows. I remember the Parks and Rec reunion tried to make a lot of comedic hay out of the pandemic. But we got a trailer for a movie called The Bubble from director Judd Apatow. And this is about as star-studded as it gets. Is it Karen Gillan or Karen Gillan? I think it's Karen Gillan, but I don't actually know. Do you guys know? I don't know for sure, but I'm going to go with that nebula come on nebula and uh she was in she was in the uh jumanji movies uh she should be in a jurassic park movie though iris apatow who i think is judd apatow's daughter fred armison uh maria bakalova david duchovny keegan michael key leslie mann pedro pascal peter serafinowitz and the list goes on and on of uh famous people who are filming a movie in the uk filming a dinosaur movie and they have to institute a bubble and there, there, so there's a lot of parallels here. You know, at one point they specifically mentioned that they're one of two movies that are filming. And Tactic, you brought up the point when we were talking about discussing this on the show, the Tom Cruise stuff. Y- you remember that. You guys remember that. 
did we did we talk about the Tom Cruise freakout? Uh, well, there's probably multiple. I think we there was a we Tom Cruise freakout. We mentioned it in passing, but yeah, I mean to to get a, sh- a light shined on the actual making of a movie side of things. I think you know as we move forward as a society through the through and towards the end of this pandemic, fingers crossed. It's kind of nice to see the lighthearted side and and just. Yeah, yeah, it was tough, but just to kind of laugh at some of the situations. And we did see real life situations during studios with respect to Tom Cruise, where where he was freaking out on people, and rightfully so, right, to, to make sure that the crew stays safe and things like that. But I think there's definitely a lighthearted spin that can be put on, on many of these right. events. And I think it's I think it's I think it's time we start get a little bit more lighthearted. Too soon? It's it's a little soon. I mean, you all know how the pandemic has, has affected me, but at the end of the day, life is short and people, you know, I think there's going to be a range of reactions to this, right? Like, I think there's a lot of people who, who I'm sure do feel that it's too soon. You know, my opinion on it is we're going to start making light of it at some point. I'm not sure whether it should be now or not, but if it's not going to be now, it's going to be probably a few months down the road kind of thing. I, I don't know how funny, like, I haven't seen the Judd Apatow movie in a while. I don't know how funny his movies are anymore. Like, I, one of the most recent Judd Apatow movies I saw was, there are two, Funny People and This Is 40. And, like, if you've seen either of those movies, you that know funny. that, like, they're not that funny. Yeah, like, they're, they're, they're kind of, like, dramedies is, I guess, like, they have comedic elements, but they're more, like, like, Funny People is literally about funny people who are, like, going through terrible life experiences. See, I really hope it's funny. And the reason why is because there's been a large chunk of media that has covered the pandemic in in some fashion, way or another. And every time it hits me very, very hard. And I need, I almost need this this consumed media to be lighthearted. You you would think situationally they wouldn't want to lean into the heaviness of the pandemic that a lot of people have experienced, right? You'd think they'd want to they want to keep it light at all times, and and. I, I do hope that they do. I, I like comedy for me right now, man, even shows, but especially movies. I can't remember the last time I saw a movie that was billed as a comedy that I was like, this is legitimately funny. It's it's a very tough genre right now, I think. like I, I One thing that I do want to say about this, this in particular is I don't think it's about COVID and that makes it better because you, you can sort of disassociate it to what's happening because they just said it's influenza. And like in this trailer too, like they kind of, yeah, the they use it almost as an excuse for the backdrop and the setting of the movie and like what puts them in the situation. But it doesn't seem like right. they're necessarily leaning into that as much. It's just like the reason why all of these kind of crazy actors are forced into basically isolation together. This is something that I'm sure was very carefully crafted. Someone came to them and said, we want to make a movie about a pandemic bubble because, you know, whether you whether you like it or not, however you personally feel about it, there is a lot of situational humor to be had in that situation. But there's, I'm sure, producers and people with the money said, you have to distance yourself to a certain extent from the actual thing that is ruining people's lives and ending people's lives in order for people to allow themselves to to kick back and laugh at this. You know, it, it's I think it's a delicate balance. Exactly. Like, and again, I, I hate to keep belaboring a lot of the other media, but for example, and Sorry if this is a spoiler, but I'm not going to really get into too much details. But in the short of it, the series finale of Shameless, I was like holding back tears because they 
they used COVID to pull on people's heartstrings, and I did not like that. Yeah, it's it, it's emotionally manipulative at best, and it's something way worse at worst, right? It, it you know, again, in the few instances, like I think I've seen COVID used as a comic mechanism, you know, obviously more than a handful of times over the past couple of years, but a lot of that was, I think we're all trying to get through this thing together. Laughter right? is a coping in, mechanism. And that's why we're all I think... stuck inside. Yeah. And, and to cope with the ongoing thing, let's, let's laugh a little bit, maybe not even at COVID, but let's laugh at something else. And let's laugh at it with the knowledge that we're all in this terrible situation. As we exit what we are currently in, that's going to be an interesting climate for, for, for comedy because it's not so much going to be a, we're all in this together thing anymore. It's going to be, Hey, this thing happened and it was really funny. And, 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 some people are going to say rightfully so that no, it, it wasn't right. It, it was terrible, you know, and it, it still is terrible. It is fascinating. I just, yeah, I do hope it's funny. I don't know if I was sold from, from the trailer that it was going to be particularly funny. So to kind of like, I guess, step away from the bigger picture and just look at the trailer itself. Did you guys find yourself entertained by it? Because I personally, I don't know if that's my type of comedy. Like they started getting into, you know, these actors just being kind of obstinate, cranky, selfish, self-centered people who do drugs and yell at each other. And I don't know if that's for me. I think I think it honestly would have been way better if it was if the premise the thing that I found most entertaining and and you find this entertaining just from memes from studios right is you know people in the CGI suits that they wear so that they can put a dragon or a dinosaur or whatever on it and and you guys have all seen the Avengers or, or rather Guardians of the Galaxy for Rocket Raccoon and they all look hilarious or or Groot it just yeah. it looks it looks ridiculous and i think they could have like focused on just the actors and and that just being together and like the behind the scenes images that alone has potential to be very very funny and it could just easily to have just been hey we were casting on on this island that's cuz that's where we wanted our backdrop to be because it's a dinosaur movie it needed to be this this tropical looking island right and for reasons our ship that was going to pick us up can't get here. There you go. Going back to like the, you know, people in dinosaur heads saying funny things. Like I think an inspired choice is the fact that like there's certain scenes in the trailer that you see where like they're, the guy's on the cliff and he turns back and he sees that girl spinning underneath him and says, oh, she's going through something like that. They show the actors in their CGI environments being funny. Like they're there. It's, it's a meta thing, right? Where they're taking, oh, these, these actors are making this movie and while they're making it, while they're on set doing these things, they're saying funny things to each other and they're doing funny things. But to, to take that and actually put the CGI on it. So it's a dinosaur talking instead of a person in a dinosaur costume talking, does have the potential to be good comedic content and, and make it funny to me. But by and large, you know, Nerd Bomber, I think I agree that like, I don't know, like, This Is The End will be an example of a movie that like, I think it was supposed to be about all these actors kind of being prima donnas and like in this apocalyptic situation, they were breaking each other down. And there were parts of that that were funny. But by and large, I I think it might have been a wasted opportunity because it was a lot of like, oh, Michael Sarah does a lot of drugs. Isn't that hilarious? And I was like, not really. <laughs> like, yeah, if anything, if anything, it might be true. And that just makes me sad. Like, you know, it's like it's like one of those things where, like you said, it might just not be 
my kind of humor or your kind of humor but i think and i know it's different in this instance because these aren't they're not saying keegan michael key is there right they're i think they're i don't think these actors yeah are playing i think themselves. they're playing actors yeah um so then you you can you can distance yourself from it in that way but like there have been a I know, there have been other movies too i'm sure where it's like actors like there's a movie that came out just recently i think or it's coming out soon where nicholas cage plays himself and like get ready because i'm going to see that asap but am like, i correct in saying that it's it's a movie about actors acting as actors acting yeah i think i have that right yeah i, th- I think so see yeah, i think dinosaur movie my ideal take on this movie would be something akin to like mythic quest or the office where it's just like kind of like a workplace comedy but they're not necessarily leaning into like ridiculous excess sort of stuff i feel like judd apatow does sometimes lean into just like substance abuse is a funny haha and like Okay, yeah, I'll give you a couple laughs, but like that can't be the crux of uh, entire characters. Like, it just doesn't work for me. Well, so I, I will say the ex- one of the, my favorite comedies ever, and the exception to that rule, because I do think, by and large, I agree. But Pineapple Express is still one of the funniest movies to me, and I, I don't think Judd Apatow made that. I could be wrong, but whether he did or not, I still I just watch that movie and I laugh at it every single time. Another an example of a comedy of of actors playing actors acting, as you said, technic. I actually think Tropic Thunder is also a very funny movie. And that came out quite a while ago now. But that was, again, different time, different set of circumstances. And I think different people. I don't think that was Shot Apatow either. So I'm not sure how this comes out in the end. But it's an intriguing concept, right? It, it's This is certainly a test balloon, again, for like, I'm sure there's comedians and actors and producers everywhere going, okay, we're coming out of this. Can we laugh at it yet? In this way, not in a we're all in this together way, but in a this was a funny thing that happened where there was parts of it that were funny. Can we do that yet? And, and and how this movie performs, I think, may answer that question by and large. So I don't know. Well, I'm sure there is a release date for it. This is, I think, Netflix in early April. Oh, that's right. That, that was another thing I wanted to mention. Is this an April Fool's joke? It comes out April 1st. Is this a very elaborate April Fool's joke? I actually think that's a possibility. Yeah, I do. I, I like, I think... I don't know. I, I could see that happening. I think there's a lot of funny people here who th- this could be a very elaborate April Fool's joke where you start watching the movie and it turns out that it's not a movie. It's like something else or something. I mean, April 1st is a Friday. Netflix releases their stuff on Fridays. I might just be tinfoil hatting it here, but I don't know. I'm, my my antenna are always up for April Fool's Day stuff. When something's coming out April 1st, because I've, I've been burned by that a couple times. Let me, just, let me just say that. At least one of the Google announcements, I was like, this is real. And then it wasn't. So basically what you're telling everybody is if they want to prank I'm you stupid. for April yeah. Fool's, just don't do it on April Fool's because you're going to have your little radar up. I don't know why I call it a little radar, but you're going to have your little I, radar up. It's a little oh, radar. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't use April Fool's Day probably, but also like in general, I'm, I, I think the takeaway is that I'm very gullible. Do with that information what you will. We're going to transition to what are you up to Wednesday? I, I'm going to lead here because in, in keeping with the theme, I'm mostly going to talk about a number of movie actually three movies that i saw it's been a big movie week for us two oscar nominated movies and one very much not oscar nominated movie i'm gonna start with, i'm gonna start with the with the not oscar nominated movie my fiance for a while has been like you know what movie you gotta watch you haven't seen yet it's a, it's a, it's a classic is uh the 1997 hit film anaconda have you guys seen this movie you haven't <laughs> yeah seen I, that? i've talked about this i that have was, not that seen was, anaconda that was the movie that young tech tick watched the first five minutes of on loop. Oh, where the guy kills himself? Spoiler alert. It's the first no, five minutes. No, where there's like the girl in the tent. Girl in the tent. 
one thing I will say I noticed from watching the movie is the movie was very, very much like we got Jennifer Lopez to be in this movie. She's not going to be wearing a bra pretty frequently. And we're going to like focus on her physical asset, which for granted, it was the 90s. They did that and they still do that now. But, but even in that the, was one Forget feature. that. The first five minutes was a, there was like a topless girl in a tent and she was just like jiggling around. So no, young tactic watch this, this on That is not... Am I thinking that Pi- that's Anaconda. Python? I'm thinking Python. Sorry, yeah, guys. An- I was a pervert as a kid. I'm just going to go out and say that. <laughs> Anaconda. Anaconda, there's a suicide in the first five minutes. Danny Trejo. Wow. Yeah. No, that's not the one. I did not uh, watch that on loop. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's a pretty brutal scene, actually. Anaconda, though. So, okay, Nerd Bomber, have you seen Anaconda? I have, yeah. I've also seen the, I don't know if it was a sequel or a reboot, but Anaconda. It was. Anaconda's Search for the Blood Orchid. Yeah, I've been doing some research. I haven't watched that one. But this movie is so bad. This is is like maybe the flag bearer in So Bad It's Good territory. Because this movie, like box office wise, it cleaned up. And like it's now considered a cult classic. The CGI is frankly bananas in this movie like it is so it's very late 90s cgi that's all i can really say about it john voight is insane and it, like there's like, the cast at, at large like you got owen wilson ice cube jennifer lopez john voight regularly interacting like that's just, i think that's enough to and it's a creature feature so that just all that put together just makes it a really one-of-a-kind experience so if you haven't seen it, I would recommend watching it, but do, do it with a drink in your hand because that was also my experience. I, I think that that made it all the better. On a totally different note from that, watched The Power of the Dog, which this is on Netflix. This is nominated for Best Picture. Many people think it's going to be the front runner. I believe Benedict Cumberbatch is also nominated for Best Actor and Cody Smith McPhee and Jesse Plemons, who I love, are nominated for Best Supporting. This was a good movie. It's a Western uh, actually, one of the things that made me want to watch this movie was Sam Elliott came out and was like, he kind of like had like a tirade against this movie because he's like, Sam Elliott's like a guy, he's like known for being in Westerns and like being a Western guy and everything. He's like, he's like the narrator in Big Lebowski and everything. And he was like, this movie, he's, well, I said, he said a lot of things I can't repeat basically. And I was like, Sam Elliott seems like kind of an idiot. So I'm going to go watch this movie. And he was wrong. It's good. I would definitely recommend it, especially if you're, if you're a Benedict Cumberbatch fan. Uh, he was fantastic in it. What is it about? I heard it's just yeah. very like, in terms of, or I guess in comparison to other Westerns, I've heard it's kind of like slow and meandering, a little bit more oh, heady yeah. than a, a typical Western. Don't expect any guns to be fired. In fact, I'm not even sure if a gun is fired the whole movie. It's more so like it's, yeah, it, it's a social drama that happens to take place in the Old West, I would say. And by the way, it takes place, like, I think it takes place in the 1920s. So like it's on a ranch and like ranching is like still going on. But it's like it's also like in the Roaring Twenties, so it's like a very interesting time for a movie to take place in. But it's more so like a very small set of characters interacting with each other, and like some things happen. I did like it a lot, but people saying it's slow and meandering, yeah, that checks out. Like it's it's not super fast paced, but if you're in it for what it's you know what it's trying to do, I think it does it quite well. So wouldn't be at all surprised if it won a number of Oscars. The other movie that I watched in the final movie that I watched that you guys did see, it's nominated for Best Animated Feature, was uh, The Mitchells vs. The Machines. And that was, it's also on Netflix. Isn't it fantastic? It's delightful. It's its very much, actually, and what I would liken it to, because it was, it was, I believe, directed and produced by uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, or Chris Lord and Phil Miller. I always get their names mixed up. I think it's Phil Lord and Chris Miller. They did 21 Jump Street and the Lego movie. And I would say both of those movies are quite similar tonally to this one, 
but this one is, is obviously animated so it takes a lot of their frenetic energy from those two movies and really cranks it up and does a lot with the format which it's it's very beautifully animated um and it does a lot of like it does a lot of like memey stuff you know and that's like it, it kind of it's in keeping with what the movie's about and, and who the characters are but yeah we watched that actually this afternoon and it was it was a it's a delightful afternoon watch it was a very feel-good movie that's a good way to start off your week honestly yeah take the kids with you to see that one don't put the kids to bed for that one keep them awake even if it's past their bedtime kids will love it uh so that yeah that was that, that was my week i did finish archive 81 but i'm gonna push that discussion off because it deserves more column inches than i'd be willing to give it right now so tactic tell okay. me what's been going on in your world so from a movie perspective the movie we, that i want to talk about that we watched was clifford the big red dog now i want to start by saying this is another one keep the kids up for because we, we might honestly be a little too old for this even the uh advertisements were before we watched the movie was for paw patrol but whatever it's fine it was it was a delightful movie it was entertaining Look, you gotta do you man it was lighthearted. well it's like a nostalgic thing because like we all grew up on clifford right and i just read that much clifford like i know yeah. the character but like i didn't i don't think i i probably read one or two there was a lot you know? of subtle but, winks to the original book creator and so that was nice to see. Feel good movie. No complaints there. But the main thing that I want to talk about is a series that we binged the, all of the first season this past week. And that is Peacemaker. I got to tell you, this is probably one of the best superhero series that I've watched. Disney Plus, you got you to get your stuff together because HBO Max did great things with this show. I would go so far as to say this is aside from Spider-Man, probably one of my favorite superhero content, whatever you want to consider it, in the last few years. And, wow. you know, this this being a, a DC sort of franchise, they kept it known that it was part of the overarching Justice League world. They had a lot of subtle winks and some not so subtle winks to it, but it was very much still its own story arc. It was done really well. It's an entertaining ride, got action, got funny. It just, I couldn't be happier with this content. And the other thing is, every now and then, Hollywood just does a phenomenal job at casting certain people. And I gotta say, John Cena as Peacemaker in the Suicide Squad I like movie... I John Cena. It was, it was, like, you didn't really get a good feel for him in that role, but... After watching this, they couldn't have picked a better actor for Peacemaker. I, I am just absolutely thrilled with that. This is akin to, you know, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. Just just perfect casting. So if you haven't seen it yet, I absolutely recommend it. Check it out. Let us know what you think. I would just I would just love to talk to you guys about it and, and tell me what you think. And side note, Peacemaker wasn't even my favorite superhero on that one. Yeah, I will. To kind of pick you Are you willing to say who was? It was Vigilante. Vigilante was great. Okay. To kind of piggyback off that a little bit, I think giving Peacemaker eight 45-minute-ish episodes to develop his character was probably the best decision that DC has made in terms of their entertainment universe in a really long time. Being able to get... When watching the latest Suicide Squad, you only kind of see his character as this guy who will do anything to get the job done and doesn't care who he murders. But getting almost eight hours to build character depth, to see, you know, what's behind that brusque exterior was just so great. And I think the the combination of James Gunn kind of having his way to do whatever he wanted here, and then John Cena, like you said, Tactic, just being an incredible actor, which I don't think 
anybody really gives him enough credit for coming out of the wrestling world obviously you know he's got like decent acting chops but he always kind of fills this either comedy role or semi-action role but the depth of emotion he's able to display throughout this series without giving any more context to that is just incredible yeah and i and i couldn't agree with you more because one of dc's biggest shortcomings through this whole justice league exercise we'll call it has been they're always just rushing to get the content out and never pausing to build up the character and, and build their their person right. persona and this gave them the opportunity to to pump the brakes a little bit and and let us get to know a character this is a character that we're going to see can I, without I, can you say that whether or not that's true without getting into i like mean spoiler heavy well i stuff. believe it uh, got com- or a season two got confirmed i believe yeah that, that, that's what i was going to say at the very least we can expect a season two and I do but movie-wise, do you think he'll be popping back up in that realm? I it have a, it's hard to say. I don't think so, personally. Like, I think they maybe cameos here and there, but I don't think so. I don't think he... I think he's going to be relegated to this kind of his own little story arc on HBO Max and maybe another Suicide Squad. Why can't I say this? Suicide, Suicide Squad. <laughs> Suicide Squad movie. The old Sue Squad. This is a squad of people named Sue. I, I, I personally think the Suicide Squad as a whole is going to get disbanded based on the way this one ended, but I digress. TBD. Nerd Bomber? Well, cool. <laughs> what else you got, Nerd Bomber? All right. So two big things on my end. Kind of staying in the wrestling realm, we watched an animated film called Rumble. And this is one, it was a Paramount animation feature on Paramount Plus. I think it's a Paramount Plus original. And essentially, you know, they they are in this kaiju world where there's a bunch of giant monsters and they work with humans instead of, you know, destroying the planet to form a monster wrestling league. And this has Will Arnett voicing the main monster in the movie. And Terry Crews is kind of like the adversary bad guy monster. It wasn't great. It's kind of got middling reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Like it's hovering around like a 50%. And I would say it's probably a little bit better than that. I think you have to go into it not expecting a whole lot. I think you just have to go in like looking for a decently done animated movie with a slightly heartfelt story. Voice actors who you know, like the the cast was very well-known actors. It was comprised of a ton of people who, as the credits are rolling, you're like, oh, I didn't realize so-and-so was in this. And I mean, it wasn't bad. I would, I don't know if I would go out of my way to watch it again. I definitely don't know if I would have paid like a full price in a movie theater to see it, but for a dollar month trial with Paramount Plus, I think it was perfectly fine and a pretty nice diversion for our weekend. I don't know if Tactic, you had any specific thoughts on Rumble, but I thought it was okay. I thought Clifford was better, but I mean, it's entertaining. Another another good watch with the with the kiddies or you know full grown adults is fine too. <laughs> and then <laughs> the other thing is I've been really digging into Horizon Forbidden West and. I'm still, I just finally got into the Forbidden West. I feel like I'm just scratching the surface. There's so much to explore and do in this world. And I'm just having a lot of fun with it. I'm taking my time. I'm doing all of the side quests that I come across. I'm doing all of the cauldrons that I find, which are basically like little mini dungeon things that aren't part of the main story, but helps you unlock new skills and helps you override robots that you encounter throughout the world. And just like every time there's a question mark on my map, I'm going toward it. I don't know if I'll be able to sustain that just because I feel like I'm still very early on in this story and I don't know how long I can sustain that just because typically I don't 
I can't put more than like 40 hours in a game before I start to like wane in interest. So at some point, I'm going to have to start focusing more on just like, you know, like getting the story done and doing main things. But I'm having a, a blast with it. The graphics are absolutely astounding. On my Twitter at OW Nerd Bomber, I did post a screenshot because, you know, obviously the just like the original game, like they cycle through night and day and the night sky in this screenshot as I was playing, I was just like, I'm not usually a big screenshot taker, but in this instance, I was just like, this is, this is nice. So I stopped and took a picture and it, it's, the graphics are pretty astounding. So it's definitely a really now, good game. Would you say that the West is indeed forbidden or are you kind of like walking around there without any sort of, you know, consequence? I mean, there's definitely... In terms of the story, there's definitely consequences to you being there, and it kind of gives a reason to why there's raider camps. Like in the in the first game, I don't want to give spoilers in case people are playing it still in preparation for the sequel, but you know, you come across camps of people, but it's not like you feel like you don't really have a super big reason for them, whereas, you know, there's there's more basically just more stories to like what's out in the forbidden west and why there's raider camps that you have to go conquer but i mean there's a whole slew of new robots that you have to encounter as well that are a little bit more intimidating than what were in the first game so that also kind of feeds into why it's the quote-unquote forbidden west because they're a little bit more badass like there's a raptor there's a kangaroo that can kick the poop out of you there's there's a lot of kind of scary looking monsters like, and robots like poop, poop comes out Oh yeah! Wow! No. High fidelity, sounds, graphically sounds impressive poop. But yeah, I'm ha I'm having a good time with intense. it. Cool, right on. Yeah, I I started the first one and I didn't. Life circumstances caused me to stop, but it's definitely something that at some point I will probably pick up again. I remember really liking it when I was playing it. So good to know. And then, yeah, everything I've seen of the second one, it looks graphically insane. So good to hear. Uh, well, tactic. I think it's time to turn the show over to you, my friend. Here are the keys. Uh, take us to Quiz Town. All right, so today's quiz topic is going to be Girl Scout cookies. So folks, I hope you're hungry because this is gonna this is gonna tempt you a little bit. So my first question is when was the first Girl Scout cookies sold? And I'm gonna roll it over to It should be me. I have more wins. I'll go first. And by the way, the record, I'm three and three, Narbomber two and three, Tactic three and three. Steven one, no. Congrats to Steven. When was the first one sold? Well, this is a tough one. Right off the bat. I'm going to go with my gut and say 1910. I think this was an early 1900s thing. I think this was a little bit later. I think it's 1940. That was not a little bit later. That was a lot of bit later. I mean, 30 years. Yeah, but if you stuck with a little bit later, you would have got it right because the answer is 1922. Mm. So Ooh. Illegal takes this one. The Roaring 20s. Golden Age of Cookies. The sale of cookies to finance troop activities be actually began as early as 1917. However, the Girl Scout troops were not officially Girl Scouts yet, and they didn't get established until five years later. So they weren't Girl Ooh, Scout yeah. cookies because they were no Girl Scout troops? Right. They were just... Right. They troop. weren't Girl Scouts yet. Right. They were just but cookies. in 1922, which is the date I said they started selling, they were selling cookies under the guise of Girl Scout cookies. Okay. So Sweet. there have been many, 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 many varieties over the past hundred plus years of selling Girl Scout cookies. How many cookies have been discontinued? I feel like that there isn't that many. I'm going to say six. Oh, it's got to be. It, well, so, boy, that was quite the voice crack I had there. Uh, this might be a trick question. So I'm going to say one. 
So I said the word many quite a few times, and it's because there were many, 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 many cookies, and it wasn't a trick question, and the number of cookies that have been discontinued was 51. So oh, really? That's why I thought it was a trick, though, because you said many so many times. I thought you were trying to trick me. I, you double you double reverse psychology me. It's, it's well played. So we're all tied up, which is good. It keeps it interesting. So as I said, there were many cookie varieties through the years. This year, how many cookie varieties were offered this year? And keep in mind, when if you were to buy cookies right now, they vary as far as what's available troop to troop. So taking all of the different varieties of all the different troops, what's the total varieties available this year? Right. So, so there's what people, a lot of people may not know. Like take a Thin Mint, for example. There are multiple different Thin Mints. Like a Thin Mint in Illinois is not the same as a Thin Mint in like, you know, Florida, for example. At least based on my, my knowledge. Uh, That's not what I'm, I'm saying. Say, That's not what I'm saying. So like... I thought you said varieties. Yeah, variety okay. is like Thin Mint, Samoa. But I mean, okay, okay, Illegal okay. does have a point because what is called a Samoa, I think in the Eastern Caramel Delights United and, States, and Samoas are considered the same variety. So why are they named right. different? Those are two different varieties. It's, it's different distributors. But to be to to, to be they want to be confusing for uh, podcasts that do quizzes, so I'm I'm gonna say I'm gonna say 28. I'm gonna say 29. I'm gonna use my plus one on you. All right, so illegal gets this one. Seriously, he got it right on the nose. Yeah, you busted. Wait, is it actually 28? Yeah. <laughs> oh my. Are you gosh. kidding me? <laughs> and wow. So many of these. That's were, a first for the, the quiz. Some of these varieties include Thin Mints, Samoas, Dosi Dos. See, but I I think that's wrong because you're counting Samoas and Caramel Delights as the tag-alongs. same thing, and they're not. Right. Yeah, but tagalongs are right. also peanut butter patties. Yeah, and, I think those should be separate just, things it's, too. It's one variety. But they're not different uh, recipes. Is, is, they're different recipes. This is an online warrior's first. Okay, a plus one was used and it didn't work. And and there wasn't a bust. It was just wow. I I don't even care what happens now. I mean, I can. That's a feather from my cap. Put an asterisk there for now, and we'll keep going. So, hey, don't no, come on. Don't listen to your fiance. That's that's cheap. Come on, stick to your guns, man. So while making this quiz, I gave in. How much money did I spend on Girl Scout cookies, including shipping and handling? <laughs> this is a great question. Okay. Uh, oh wait, I'm not first. I'm I'm second. Go ahead, Nerd Bomber. Okay, so I'm gonna. I don't know what he bought. I was not aware really that he bought anything. So this is news to me, but I'm not upset. I am going to count the boxes of the flavors that I know he likes. I know he I likes... Even, I don't even how... I don't know how much a box costs. So I, I'm, I'm totally out to see here. I'm glad I'm going second. So I'm pretty sure a box is 12 bucks. And I know he likes Thin Mint, so he'd probably double up. So he that's two. He knows I like my Samoas. So there's another two. So we're up to four. I think he always tries the new flavor of the year. So now we're up to five. And I think he also always gets like the peanut butter one, but only just one of those. So we're up to six. So six times 12 is 72. So I'm going to say $72. Uh, you didn't include shipping and handling. I'm going to say 73. I'm going to use my plus uh, butts. So you both busted. Girl Scout cookies cost $5 a box. Really? I don't oh, know why. Geez. I thought they were like really expensive. I remember I was gonna say, that's being pretty, expensive. That's pretty steep. I'm, I'm fine with the bust. That, that, that's fine for me. How, how, well, give us, give us a straight dope. How much did you spend? $36.25. Nerd Bomber, I did buy six boxes of cookies. So that was spot on there. Well, at least and I got something, right? And then shipping was 
$6.25. Hey, I'm still okay, proud so of my deductive reasoning. So so we're going into the last question. I, I got two. Nerd Bomber's got one. I suppose technically there's an asterisk on mine, but come on. What is the current record for number of boxes sold by a member in one year? Uh, and I'm, yeah, I'm first. It's a huge amount. I, I'm, I'm going to... Uh, 15,000. I think that's way too much. I'm going to say one. <sighs> so Illegal wins this one. In 2021, Lily Bumpus broke the record by selling 32,484 boxes. There we go. I mean, you figure, like, if her mom works at, like, a big... If she, like, works at Amazon and just, like, brings in an order form, boom, that's a thousand boxes in, like, one day. Like, I, I think it's, like, I think it's, like, that kind of thing. I'll take the win. Uh, I love Girl Scout cookies. Particularly Thin Mints are... To me, the superior Girl Scout cookie. I feel like we talked about this on the podcast. Also, I need I, to I, say, I stand by that. By the way, that the order, like the order form, like the cookies that I picked and everything that Nerd Bomber predicted, was exactly correct. <laughs> like the, yeah, she, the well, quantity she, she of boxes you. and the flavors, exactly correct. I mean, yeah, that's that's impressive, but there's there's no points associated with that. So, can I just say though, thin mints are gross. All right. Well, you can. You don't have. I to, mean, you don't have to eat them. You just, I'll. I'm going to eat the Samoas. I did buy them, but you don't have to eat the. Thin Red mints. bomber. It's it's okay to be incorrect. This is a safe space for that. <clears throat> we welcome all opinions, even the ones that are that are wrong. So yeah, are Samoas the one with coconut in them? Yeah. Yeah, Samoas are the ones yeah, see, that are like caramely, coconutty, chocolatey. Ooh, so good. You know, and I mean, and, yeah. And honestly, this is this is really going to roll into my. Uh, my tech tip of the episode, but well, wait, hold on, hold on, because I, I want to give the qu- updated quiz standings. I moved to four and three, still the top dog, but just barely. Technic at three and three, Nerd Bomber two and four, and uh, Steven at one and zero. Oh. Congrats to Steven. Technic, take it away. So Quick really, the whatever you're gonna say, you know, th- the thing about Girl Scout cookies and especially Samoas is the problem with Samoas is you always want Samoa of them. Yeah, see, I I should have seen that coming. Uh, well, yeah, we'll leave it at that. Other than to say, go support your local Girl Scouts, buy some cookies. Uh, also, shout us out on Twitter at owlady six at owtactic at ownerdbomber. This is the first episode in a long time. I don't think I've shouted out all the handles in an episode. Nerdbomber, you shouted yours out earlier, but figured I'd say them all. At online warriors one in the main show account, hit us up there. Hit us up on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. And yeah, what, 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 just say it again, tactic, because I can't. It's something about Samoas and just Samoa. go get Samoa. I, of them okay <laughs> okay